Good day, everyone, and welcome to The Bread of Life, a radio ministry of the International Mission, Church Partnership Evangelism, and the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. To learn more about our ministries, go to breadoflifeboise.org. I'm Joel Van Hoogen. I'm the director of CPE and the pastor at The Bread of Life. We are in Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 8, and we're looking at the lives of Abraham and David as examples of saving faith. Listen now to verses 4 and 5 before we press on to the message. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace but as debt. But to him who does not work but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. What do we said about God? God will be no man's debtor. He is not going to give to you the most precious gift of all salvation as payment for anything. Actually, you don't want anything from God that you can earn from God. The Bible says in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. That's what you can earn from God. You don't want that payment. You want what He only can give you as a gift. As a gift. He drops righteousness in your account as a complete and total free gift that you're able to access because you believe that He's going to do it. You believe in Him. You basically go before God and you say, God, I'm a sinner. I have nothing to offer. I have nothing to gain. There's nothing I can give you. There's no payment I can make. There's nothing I can do to change and take away my sin. Oh God, if you don't forgive me and you don't cleanse me, there's no answer for me. But oh God, if you would give me your righteousness, if you would make me righteous. God says, I'll make you righteous if you believe me for that. I'll make you righteous. I'll make you righteous if you'll believe me for that. And that's it. And it's a credit to us as righteousness. That's what faith is. Faith is just believing that God would give me what I can't gain for myself. And that He would give it to me. He would give it to me. And I take it by faith. Now, Paul comes to David, and now he has to explain his statement that he's just made. He's just said that God is one who justifies the ungodly. Now, that's kind of an interesting thing. It's that God doesn't come along and say, you know, this guy is working really hard. He's making a lot of progress. He's climbing and he's trudging up this hill of being a really good person. He's loaded up a lot of good works. He's almost over the hump. He's almost made it. He's almost righteous. And let's give him just that little extra boost. Let's give him what he needs just to get to that perfect balance or that balance of righteousness and then he'll be righteous. That's not what this verse says. It says, God justifies, makes righteous who? The ungodly. He makes just the ungodly. What's the description of the ungodly? I won't do this for you right now, but go back and read the last half of Romans chapter 1 if you want a picture of the ungodly. There's a picture of what Paul says of the individuals who suppress the truth of God in unrighteousness and ungodliness. The Bible says God's wrath is being revealed against all ungodliness of men. All ungodliness. Read Romans 3 verses 10 through 18. And the depiction of what an ungodly person looks like. Misery and destruction is in their way. The way of God they don't know. The poison of cobras is under their tongues. Right? Their life pours forth the stench of an open grave. That's the description. Ungodly. Here's what the passage says. God justifies the ungodly. You can't work for that. You can't earn that. And then he says, let me give you another example. We've just talked about Abraham, and we can see how God justified Abraham. By the way, let me go back to Abraham very quickly, because this will be a little bit of a review of what's ahead of us. 
there's a little more of an argument. So the Jews thought, well, you know, you're justified by your good works. And Paul basically says, no, because if you're justified because you've done good works, that's pay. And God won't be any man's debtor. And then they said, well, no, Abraham was justified because he was circumcised. And they say, no, Romans chapter 15, verse 6, where it says that he believed God and he was justified, came roughly 14 to 29 years before Abraham was circumcised. In other words, he was just long before God said, which is good news for us, long before he went through the prescription of justification of the religious act of circumcised. How about the law? No, he was justified because he followed all the laws. No, the law didn't come till 430 years after Abraham. He wasn't following the law to be just. The sacramental system hadn't been laid out yet. He was just simply because he believed in God, because God justifies the ungodly. Oh, speaking of ungodly, let's turn our attention from Abraham. Let's look at David for a while. Ungodly. And then he takes us to the story of David. And he quotes to us the life of David. And he takes us to a passage in which David is dealing with a sin that he's committed. A sin that he's committed against Bathsheba. A sin of premeditated adultery. And then premeditated murder. Something that David planned and something that David executed. How? I think the Jews understood this, but there was no provision in all of the law or all the sacrificial system that God laid out before the people of Israel for a premeditated sin. If you were enticed by somebody and you were lured into somebody and you were kind of swept up in the moment and you did something you shouldn't do, well, there was actually some sacrifice that you could make to come before God and you would offer that sacrifice and you were promised that God would receive you on the basis of that sacrifice. But if you planned something and you premeditated it and you calculated it and you carried it out, there was no sacrifice for that kind of sin. Have you ever committed that kind of sin? Have you ever gone into some sin with your eyes wide open, planning it, thinking, I'll do it. I can get away with this. I'll do it today and then tonight I'll ask for forgiveness. There was no provision for the Jew and the sacrificial system for that kind of the sin, that kind of choice. Here's David who has committed this awful act. He's committed adultery and then he's had the man killed and then Nathan has come and revealed to him his sin and told him what he's done, the prophet Nathan. And, and maybe David turned to Nathan and said, you're right, I'm guilty. We've got to find an answer to this. What would God ask of me? What gift can I bring him? What prescribed action can I take? What sacrifice can I make? Find out what I can do that this can be washed and be absolved from this awful thing that I've done and Nathan goes and scours the books and he looks at it and he comes back and he says, nothing. There's no answer. There's no remedy for this sin. There's no prescription. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing you bring to God. God doesn't give you anything. It's on you. There's no way to remove it. You're just ungodly. You're just going to have to sit in your ungodliness. And now David turns to God and David says, I've got nothing. There's nothing I can do. There's nothing I can offer. I'm a sinner. I've done these things. I'm guilty before you. You're just and damning me. There's no way out of this. God, be merciful to me. I have nothing to bring to you. God, be merciful to me. God, forgive me. Cleanse me of this awful thing. And God answers. And God cleanses him. And God washes him. And God forgives him. Paul writes here, God imputed righteousness to him. And by the way, it's the same word as accounted. It's the exact same word that we read either that God accounted 
uh, Abraham's faith as righteousness. Here it says God imputed righteousness to him. It's the same word. God put to the account of David what David didn't have himself. In fact, what David had instead was just ungodliness. Just what was a seemingly unforgivable sin with no answer for it. Verses 7 and 8 give us the words that David proclaims because God did for him what he could never do himself. God took away his sin. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute sin. When God makes you righteous by just believing in him, he does two things. He puts to your account what was not there. He puts to your account of your life what was not there. All is righteous. Not only that, He takes from your account. He doesn't add up in your account what is there. Sin. Ungodliness. He does two things. I'm not going to count any of this sin against Him. I'm going to count all of my righteousness for Him. All that happens, all that happens simply as a response of faith. See, Jews, you're trying to follow and tread your way into righteousness by following the prescribed laws and you boast in your circumcision and your religious acts and you, you try to be a good person and you think somehow and you keep going back to it that can somehow put yourself in a better position to, before God because what's most important is your good works and your deeds and your following all the laws and you think Abraham is your example and you think David is your example. Abraham was made righteous because he simply believed God's promise. David was declared righteous in the face of his awful sin. While he was yet ungodly. That's the whole story. That's the story that you should read in the Old Testament. That's the argument. We still need to hear this argument ourselves. Let's make five really quick applications. First application. It's time to give up finally and forever your fantasy of getting right with God by your good deeds. He has nothing to pay you that you want, but he has a gift to give you that you need. And you live under the wonderful reality of that gift. Here's the second thing. The teaching of justification by faith as our salvation and right standing with God is not a New Testament concept. It was faith in a promise keeping God from beginning to end. It was faith that God was good for his promise that he would make righteous those who believed on him alone from beginning to end. Here's another one. There are not many ways to God or many means of salvation. One man is not saved by faith and another man saved by works. It wasn't salvation by works in the Old Testament. It was salvation by faith. There is one way of salvation. It is faith that believes God's promises and God's way of righteousness and of salvation that comes to us as a gift alone. I just believe in it. Always the case. Always the case. Here's another one. The Old Testament, this might be just valuable for you. The Old Testament is not a relic of the past to be forgotten. These things were written for our instruction. Because this is true, basically what Paul is saying is open up the old book again and look at it again. Look at it with fresh eyes. Read through the Old Testament and don't dismiss it as something that's passe and gone past in the past and doesn't apply to you. Jews yourself, you've missed the whole purpose and the whole lesson. If you think you can be righteous by your own actions, look and see That salvation is in the arm of the Lord and He's the one who saves. And it's He is our righteousness. He alone is our righteousness. Go back and look and see it and read it and find it over and over again. 
Last one is our faith is rooted in the revelation of God that was long being unveiled to individuals. Our faith is rooted in our confidence in Him. Do you believe in Him? How big is your God? Is He big enough to keep His promise to make you right with Him, irregardless of how you've lived or what you've done, but because of what He's done and how He lives? And never trust in yourself and your own efforts. Live by faith in Him. Bow your heads with Start the prayer by just reading to you a little poem from James Proctor. Nothing either great or small, nothing sinner know. Jesus died and paid it all long, long ago. When he from his lofty throne stooped down in love to die, everything was fully done. Finished was his cry. Weary, working, burdened one, why are you toiling so? Stop your doing. All was done long, long ago. Take hold of Jesus' work for you with a simple faith. Doing is a deadly thing. Yes, doing ends in death. Put all that deadly working down, down at the Savior's feet. Trust in Him in Him alone and be gloriously complete. I'm glad you joined us today at the Bread of Life, ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. To learn more about us, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, may the Lord bless you.